You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Because one of the things that's interesting, whenever I get asked a question about what does it mean to have a Christian home or what does it mean to be, a, a, what's biblical parenting, is I always want to remind people whenever we ask those questions is this, is that there's no such thing as a perfect family. Like we, we have to kind of embrace that and get that down. Now I know we kind of rebel against that because I say something like, hey, there's no such thing as a perfect family. Like, well, hey, my family's perfect. But the reality is there's no such thing as a perfect family. Okay. In fact, when you ask the question, uh, what's a biblical family or what's a gospel-centered family or how do I raise my kids in a Christian home, the reality is, is every single family that's recorded for us in Scripture is really messed up. Like, so if you were to ask the question, like, what's a biblical family look like? I think the most honest answer we could give is biblical families are really jacked up, messed up, kind of funky families. And that's just the truth. In fact, I want to walk you through a few, and we won't even get past the first few books of the Bible, okay? Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve get married before the honeymoon's even over. They sin and rebel against God. They choose their way is better than God's way, right? And so sin enters the world. Uh, all of a sudden, there's separation between God and man. Genesis chapter 4, uh, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel, and they kill, uh, Cain kills Abel, right? Like, so all of a sudden, like the first biblical family, perfect, walked with God in the garden, that kind of stuff, there's sibling rivalry, and one kills the other. Just a little messed up, right? So we keep going. We just look at some stuff. So in, in Genesis 6, God tells Noah to build a boat. Noah's an old man, and God said, hey, the flood's coming, so build a boat. So Noah faithfully follows God and builds the boat, and they survive the flood, him and his family and all the animals, two of the same kind. And what the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 9 is after God delivers them through the flood, they get off the boat and they celebrate, and Noah plants a vineyard. Noah gets drunk, and his kids see him naked, like kind of messed up. Like you, you wouldn't like put that one down on a Hallmark card. Like you have the perfect family, you get drunk, your kids see you naked, amen. Like you just don't go that way, right? Genesis 12, Abraham lies about his wife telling people it's his sister. Like, okay, ladies, would you be like cool with that? Like you're, you're walking around and some man approached and said, hey, is that your wife? And your husband's like, no, no, that's my sister. Why are you interested? Like, I mean, that's Abraham, Father Abraham. Like totally messed up. Genesis chapter 27 uh, Jacob is, uh, prov is, uh, is providing a meal for his father. His father is uh, getting near the end of his life, and his father is about to give the blessing to one of his children. And so Jacob's mother, Rebecca, hears that his dad is about ready to give the blessing. So like, talk about family favorites. If you ever felt like your siblings were maybe like favored by one of your parents, like that's Jacob because like Esau goes out to hunt, to, get a, to go make a kill so he can prepare his father's favorite meal. And mom's like, hey, Jacob, while your brother's hunting, let's steal the birthright. So literally, because the Bible says that Esau was a hairy man, they glue animal fur to his arm, they prepare his father's favorite meal, and so when his father reaches out and touches his hairy arm, he assumes it's Esau, and he steals the blessing that really belonged to his brother. Genesis chapter 37, there's a guy named Joseph. God has favor on his life. He gets beat up by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, and then later goes on to become the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, right? I mean, not even out of the book of Genesis. And here's what we discover. Families are messy. 
Like there's no such thing as a perfect family. Families are unpredictable. Uh, there's all kinds of tension and conflict. And for most of us as parents, if we're completely honest, most of us wonder if we're doing it right. And we're wondering how much we're actually messing up our children in this parenting thing. So here's, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you permission to admit that your family may be a little bit weird, a little bit jacked up, and slightly dysfunctional. Now here's the thing. The reason we have to embrace that is because I really do believe that if we admit that our families are a little bit dysfunctional, we can actually begin to start to put the fun back in dysfunctional, okay? Like we can do that. If we kind of embrace our brokenness, if we kind of embrace our quirkiness and our weirdness, if we kind of embrace that things aren't perfect, uh, we can actually deal with that and actually put a little fun back into our families. I think of it this way. Uh, when I was a kid, just down the road from my house, like three houses down, uh, a developer had bought two lots of land. Uh, it took them a while to build the houses. One they built pretty quick, but the other one, for whatever reason, was just like moved dirt for the longest time. So my friends and I, every summer, uh, as long as it was that way, we would go there and we would ride our bikes. We had like dirt tracks in this property. Uh, there was a huge mound of gravel and dirt. And so we would play King of the Hill. And if you ever played King of the Hill, it's just a game that you play where somebody gets on the top of the hill and you try to stay on the top of the hill and your friends, quote unquote, try to climb the hill and push you off the hill or drag you down the hill so that they can become king of the hill. And the reason I mentioned that to you is because I really do think raising a family is like playing king of the hill. Like if you're a parent, you're trying to stay on top of the hill. Like you're trying to stay in control. You're trying to manage everything. You're trying to figure out a way to, to raise your kids in a way uh, that they would be respectful or in a way that they'd be educated or in a way that they would be successful in the world. If you're a Christian, you're trying to raise your, your, your children in a way that they would know who Jesus is and love him and honor the Lord. But the reality is, is because of schedules and events and just things vying for your time and attention, the reality is kind of like King of the Hill. We're all just trying to figure out how in the world do I stay on the top of the hill, which is really interesting because we live in a culture that is all about photography. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that like as of late, everybody's a professional photographer? Like there's not a shortage of professional photographers. In fact, I was actually reading a book the other day that talks about because of, uh, because of we live in an age of social media, that we actually tend to evaluate people's lives based upon their photographs on social media. And so things like Instagram and Facebook and all these things that, that people actually have personas for online. And what happens is, is there's something that's very interesting that I think that's happening in America today, and it's that we have exchanged integrity for an image. And that people actually spend a lot of time trying to take the perfect snapshots to throw up on social media so that people would go, aren't they perfect? Look at their lives. Aren't they wonderful? And here's the thing, that there's actually a phenomenon that's happening in America today where people are jealous of other people, but the reality is the people they're jealous of are actually miserable. They just have a really great Instagram page, or they just have really great pictures on Facebook that we can actually look into other people's lives through the images they post and think, I wish I could be like them, but the reality is if we knew them, they're actually miserable, they're actually empty, that things aren't great at all, they just know how to take a really great photograph. Because come on, have you ever tried to take a family photo before? Like, have you ever hired a professional photographer to take a family photo before? Because there's something interesting that happens that our family photos don't look anything like our day-to-day -day lives. Because the reality is if our 
family photos, if our Christmas photos, if our Instagram pages really look like our day-to-day lives, come on, they'd really look something like this. Right. I mean, the reality is, is parenting is really, really difficult. In fact, just being part of family, right? It's messy. It's unpredictable. And most of us are wondering how much damage are we actually causing in the lives of those around us. And so today I want to spend just a couple minutes uh, talking about uh, really, I think, the gospel and God's power for families. Now, here's the thing. I realize whenever we talk about this, there, there's some of you here that say, hey, my, my kids are all grown up, but this still applies to you, especially if you're a grandparent. Uh, uh, for some of us, maybe, maybe you've been parenting for a while, that there's, there's always new things. I think God always has new and fresh vision for our lives. In fact, uh, one of the reasons that I, I get so passionate about talking about families is because we live in a day and an age where we have uh, motherless and fatherless children. And the reality is, is that there's such thing as what we would call spiritual parenting, that you could actually just be investing in the lives of people around you, like a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad, that we see that all throughout Scripture, especially Paul would call Timothy his spiritual son. He says, hey, you're not my biological son, but hey, I'm, I'm going to invest in you and disciple you and walk alongside of you. And we so need that in our world today. So all of these, all of these things we're going to talk about this morning uh, really kind of transcend relationships. If you're a parent, it works with your kids. If you're a grandparent, this works with uh, your grandchildren. If you're uh, just looking to get in contact with some people and help them in their walk with Jesus, these all apply because here's the reality. Your kids don't expect you to be perfect, but they do expect you to fight for them. I was a youth pastor for years and years and years and years before I took the leap and became a lead pastor or what some people would call a senior pastor. I hate the title senior pastor because I'm not old. I just don't think that applies. Like when I get my AARP card, you can call me a senior pastor, but not till then, okay? So here's the thing. I'm just messing. Some of you are like, hey, I just got my ARP car, bro, and I still love you. So here's the thing. Here's what I want you to know. As a parent, my walk, my talk, and my actions will always impact my family. As a parent, my walk, my talk, and my actions will impact my family. So I want to talk about those three things this morning, my walk, my talk, 
in my action. Uh, one of the things we talk about all the time at Redemption Church is that we really believe that life is a journey and no one should have to walk alone. We think faith is a journey, that, that all throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus would invite the disciples and say, hey, come follow me. And they had no idea where they were going to end up. They just knew that they were supposed to take step after step after step following Jesus. And so one of the ways we say it is like this. We say faith is a journey, not a guilt trip, that none of us here to make one another feel bad or try to guilt one another into anything. We just want everyone to know Jesus and have the ability and the encouragement and the community surrounding them so they can follow Jesus step after step. Now, here's the thing. Uh, there's this principle that we talk about from time to time. Whenever we talk about the spiritual journey, we talk about the principle of the path. What the principle of the path says is this. It says your direction, not your intention, will always determine your destination. Your direction, not your intention, will always determine your destination. So here's the thing. If, if we just kind of practically talked about this geographically, if you were trying to get to Florida to go spend some time on the beach this summer, but you got on I-90 heading north, here's the thing. You're never getting to Florida. So your direction, not your intention, will always determine your destination. See, the reason we talk about that is because sometimes in our lives we have so many good intentions, things we hope to do, things we want to do, but the reality is, is the direction of your life has a major impact about where your life is going or where you'll end up or what you'll even experience. And if you're a parent, if you have a family, it means that your spiritual journey is more like a minivan or an SUV or a station wagon than it is a sports car. It's not, the fastest, it's not the fastest vehicle on the road, but odds are you have people in it with you. That as a parent, your spiritual journey is not just about you, that your actual spiritual journey will influence those around you. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, God begins to speak, and I want you to see this, to the entire nation of Israel. Like, this isn't just to a few people. This is, this is for an entire nation. This is to a people who are supposed to belong to God and live as, as his possessions. People that God has said, hey, as it goes with you, people will know who I am. That God was going to manifest his presence, his power, and his provision through the nation of Israel and as, as an example for all the world. And so God begins to speak to them, and he says it this way, speaking through his prophet. He says, Dear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Simply put, if you and I want to raise children that love and follow Jesus, then first we must really love and follow Jesus. See, this first part of Deuteronomy has more to do about the parents or the individuals than it does the kids. The God says, hey, the first thing I want you to do is before you worry about those around you, before you worry about those you influence, before you worry about those you lead, before you worry about those that you are in relationship with, first I want you to think about yourself. And God says, I want you to love me. And see, as Americans, we love all kinds of things. We can love the baseball team. We can love the football team. We love our favorite pizza spot. We love our favorite shows. We love our pets. But God says, hey, I want you to love me with a different kind of love. I want you to have a different kind of commitment. I want you to have a different relationship that, that, that you have with me than you have with anything else. And you say, well, what does it look like? He says, well, when you love me, I want you to love me with all your heart, not just part of it. This isn't a part-time affair. 
This isn't a, hey, when I, when, I, when I kind of stir this thing up, God says, I want you to love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He says, these words I've commanded you today, they should be on your heart. See, one of the questions the scripture asks you and it asks me is this, is how's your walk with Jesus? What does your spiritual life look like? See, maybe the, the reason that's important because in the context of parenting, the question would be is, are you comfortable with your children following in your footsteps? See, the things you love, your children will eventually love. The things that you're passionate about, your children will eventually be passionate about. See, the, God starts in Deuteronomy with our hearts and our love for him. And I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then he takes it to the, the next level and he says, and I want my words to be in your heart. I want you to know me. I want you to know my truth. I want your heart to be filled with the knowledge and the power and the words that I have spoken to you. I want to have that kind of relationship with you. Because the reality is, you can always teach what you know, but you can only reproduce what you are. And see, let's just be honest, because it didn't work when our parents tried it on us, so it won't work when we try it on our kids. The whole do as I say, not as I do, it never works. We can't ever expect our children to love the Lord any more than we love the Lord. We can never expect our kids to be any more committed to the church than we're committed to the church. We can't, ever, can, can, we can't expect our kids to be any more committed to evangelism than we already are committed to evangelism. See, the reality is, is there may be in some of us in the room that right now, if we're honest, we just kind of feel far from God. Like we feel like there's a little bit of distance. We feel like there's a gap. Maybe things aren't as vibrant or as lively as we would hope there would be. And see, the reality is if we feel consistently distant from God, there's probably a correlation between how far we feel from God and the last time we actually picked up his word. Because one of the ways, like, don't miss this, that he talks about in Deuteronomy, he says, love me. Love me with all your heart. Love me with all your soul. Love me with all your might. And he says, and take these words. Take these words that I've spoken to you, and I want, I want you to have them on your heart. And there's directly a correlation. Don't miss this. God is speaking to an entire nation of people. And what he's saying is there's directly a correlation between knowing his word and how much we love him. There's a correlation between knowing it and storing it up in our hearts and savoring it and how close we will feel to him. That there's something about just getting in the Word that brings us closer and closer to God. And so the question is, how often are you in the Word? How much of it are you storing up into your heart? Now, here's what the nation of Israel did, and I'm not really suggesting you do this because in the long run, it didn't work out for them. But they took what God said so seriously that they actually took Deuteronomy chapter 6, and they called it the Shema. And they would actually recite these verses multiple times a day themselves. In fact, they took this so literally that they made it into a ritual in their lives where they would say, hey, here's what God said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words. And they would do some practical stuff to have the words on them. In fact, I'll talk about it later, but they would literally take scripture verses and put them in a little box that they would wrap around their arms or around their heads. And so they go, oh, the word of God is so close to me, but they missed it. God wasn't saying, I want you to have a piece of paper near you. What he's saying is, I want my presence and my power and my personality to dwell in you through the knowledge and the intimacy of knowing my word. And not just in a way of like taking a history exam where you know it, 
but you treasure it. You have an experience with it. So look at the way he says it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. See, the reality is, is the more we get into the word of God, the more we'll know God. The more we treasure up what he's already spoken to us, the more we'll know him. And the more we'll know his will for our lives. So the first place we start when we talk about this idea of gospel-centered family or this idea of what does it mean to have a Christian home, it actually doesn't start with really like practical, go do this. It starts with this question, what's your relationship with Jesus look like? When it comes to loving God, where are you? When it comes to knowing his word, when's the, the last time you picked up your Bible and said, God, I want to meet with you and I want to know you and I want to hear your voice today, so I'm going to get into your word to hear you, to see you, and to love you. Because your walk as a parent will directly impact your kid. Your walk as a grandparent will directly affect your grandchildren. Your walk as somebody who just spiritually invests in other people will affect those around you. So your walk matters. And it doesn't just stop there, but God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says it's not just about your walk, but it's also about your talk. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, he says, And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. One of the things that's interesting about this topic of parenting is if you go to Barnes & Noble, or if you go on Amazon, or if you go to a bookstore, there are hundreds of thousands of books about parenting. And most of them will claim to be more practical than the next one or have more science than the next one. But I want you to see this. God speaking thousands of years ago to the nation of Israel makes this so practical. He makes this so relevant. And he goes, here's what I want you to do. This is, this is the parent. This is how you teach your kids. He goes, do you have a house? Do you have a couch in your house? Do you ever run errands? Do you ever go anywhere? He goes, listen, talk to your kids. So I want you to talk to them when you're in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Like if you want to teach your kids or if you want to teach people about Jesus, the best way to do it is to talk to them about it. Just to have conversations. And see, the reality is, is as a parent, you are the single most influential force in your child's life. I know you don't feel that way because there's times that I don't feel that way. But just to give you a little bit of perspective, at Redemption Church, we are passionate about walking alongside families. Like we dream of a day when that gym is filled with children and children's ministry workers who want to bless them and love them and introduce them to Jesus and help them follow. But the reality is, is for the average Christian, if you are part of the worship gatherings regularly, Redemption Church gets about 40 hours a year with your kids. The average parent gets over 3,000 hours a year with their children. You are the greatest, most influential voice in your child's life. And it's a lie from the devil if you believe anything else. I know you're, there's all kinds of voices trying to get a hold of your children, but your voice is the single most influential voice in the life of your children. Now, this is where we get a little bit nervous because, uh, let's just be honest, when we start saying, hey, we want you to talk to your kids about Jesus, the reality is if you've tried, it doesn't always go the way you think it'll go. 
Like odds are, if you've ever sat down and tried to have a devotional with your children, if you tried to have a serious talk with your kids about Jesus, it rarely goes as is expected. Like, I, I mean, I know there's times that we've sat down at our kitchen table with a little family devotional time, and it's like, it did not go the way we thought it would go. Like, it did not end. Like, I kind of thought we'd all hold hands and sing Kumbaya at the end and just, like, lift high the name of Jesus, and it didn't go that way. And see, the good news is, it's like nowhere in Scripture does God say you need to be Billy Graham to your children, okay? You don't have to be a college professor with your children to talk to them. You just need to be able to talk to them. In fact, my recommendation, my recommendation is this. If you're going to have conversations with your kids, keep them simple and intentional. Keep them simple and intentional. In fact, for me, I'm just sharing for me, the three best times for our family that we've discovered are actually really easy ones. They're just part of our daily rhythm. The dinner table, like that's something we protect, okay? Like we, when we eat, we almost always eat dinner together as a family. So that's a, just a natural time for conversation. Like, listen, we've got boys. You put food on the table, they're there, okay? They're there. Like we don't have to fight them to come to the table, okay? So the table's a time of conversation and just catching on what's going on and what happened in people's day and what's, and what's going on. And, and so we always pray at mealtime and we, that's a time for us to have conversation. Another time is bedtime. We, we always take our kids up to bed at night and kind of tuck them in and pray together. And that's another opportunity for conversation. Hey, what went on today? What, what are you thinking about? What's going on in your life? Uh, usually there's a lot of jokes and humor and our kids just trying to stay up longer than we want them to. Okay. But that's just a natural time. Like we don't have to fight them on that. A third one is this, the time in the car. Like I find, I, I think honestly in our lives, time in the car is some of the greatest time. Because number one, they're captive. There's nowhere to go. There's no, there's no getting out of it. Like, we're going 55 down the highway. You're stuck. You're stuck. But it's in that time, like, I, it just seems even as our kids get older and older, like, we turn the radio off and just conversations happen. Or, or joke happens. Or one of my kids barks like a dog out the window. That happens. But listen, there's just times in the car that are just a natural rhythm of our life where we have conversations. And I would tell you not, it's almost always at dinner time, bedtime, or in the car that one of our kids will ask us a question where Audrey and I kind of secretly look at each other and we think, how are we going to handle this one? But the reality is, if I tried to lead them to that conversation, it would never happen. But just because we're there and just because we have some rhythms, it's, those are the times that they go, hey, dad, what about? Or hey, mom, what about? Or hey, I, I want to know something. And it's just a time to keep it really, really simple and really, really inten intentional. In fact, one of the greatest things you can do as a parent a grandparent or a spiritual parent is look for what I would call teachable moments. And I think that's what God's talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7, and 8 when he says, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, that there's all these teachable moments. It's almost like being a tour guide, that there's things that happen to you or around you where you have the, the opportunity to go, hey, you see what happened there? Or hey, did you, you know what you just witnessed? Let, let us teach you about that. Let, let's tell you about what just happened there. It's one of the great opportunities to slow down and have conversations with your kids. In fact, some of the greatest teachers in your life, in my life, we don't remember what they taught us. Like you don't remember all the lessons, you don't remember everything they said, but what you do remember is the things that they showed you that you never saw before. Those kind of aha moments. And those are the things that our kids and our grandkids and those who we shepherd will also remember, oh, I remember when they showed me. Like, I remember when I didn't understand, and then they explained it to me. I remember when that thing happened, and when that thing happened, some stuff became really, really clear. Because here's what happens. 
a lot of times we open our Bibles and we read our Bibles for information. We're like, hey, I want to learn, I want to learn. And that's great, but here's the deal. The Bible's more about application and transformation than it is information. So there's something very, very practical and something very, very powerful about taking the truth of God or what we've seen in the scriptures and then saying, hey, watch this leap off the pages and come to life. See, the reason we do this is because God said it here. The reason that happened is because God said it there. The reason this is so powerful isn't just because it's powerful, it's because God made it powerful. In fact, James says it this way in James chapter 1, 22 to 25. He says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he is blessed in his doing. I love that. He goes, hey, hey, don't just read this and close it and walk away. Don't just be a hearer. He says, when God says something, our, our response is to say, yes, God, I'll go do that. Yes, God, I'll go live that way. Like one of the greatest things that can happen in your life and my life is when we read something in the scripture that we disagree with, we realize we're wrong. And the greatest thing I can do is adjust my disagreement to say, hey, God, I think you know more than I do. I'm going to agree with you. And I'm going to make whatever adjustments or changes I need to make to get on your agenda and your page instead of trying to justify you into believing what I believe. See, teachable moments are a great opportunity for us to show God's love, God's power, and God's truth in action. And so, like, for us, yesterday, uh, we wanted to bless people. See, like, I, I have this belief that, like, God has told us that through Jesus that we could actually do as a church more than Jesus did. Like, that's what Jesus says. You will do greater things than I have done, and I don't understand that. But one of the things that Jesus always did is he always met people where they were. Like, people didn't always come to Jesus. What happened was is Jesus went to people, and then a crowd followed Jesus to where he went. And then what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus would go to people, and he'd almost always amaze them somehow. Like, so you would see some of these miracles, like Jesus is teaching, and then he's like, you know what we should really do? Let's feed all these people. And the disciples are like, hey, there's, there's not a McDonald's around here. There's no pizza service. Like, there's no delivery guy. Jesus, how are we going to do this? And he's like, see, see that, that, that boy over there, he's got some food. And Jesus goes, I'll just multiply that so we could feed everybody. So now everybody's like, look at the miracle. Like, how did Jesus feed these 5,000? Jesus goes, hey, am I, while you're eating, can I tell you something real quick? Like, Jesus goes in and meets the Samaritan woman at the well and walks up to her and goes, hey, can I, can I get a glass of water? He's like, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't ask me for water. And Jesus says, but if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for something to drink because I could give you the living water. It's like Jesus showing up at a wedding and they run out of wine. And he's like, watch this, water into wine. And people are like, hey, Jesus, who are you? There's something really, really powerful about just meeting people where they were and blessing them and then seeing where it goes. So yesterday, uh, we had just a couple volunteers who went into our community with flowers. And we, we were here at the YMCA and we were here at the steam plant. And I love it because it gives my kids an opportunity just to be, just to be Christ followers on their own. So I also, I'm kind of scary looking. I'm not a mean person, but I can look a little mean and it just happens. And so like me standing there with the flower, people think I want them to buy the flower. Just give them the flower away. So I take kids with me. So Audrey and Nolan were here. Ron and Paula and Shane were over at the steam plant, and I was kind of going back and forth in between. And so Audrey and Nolan were here, and they gave a woman a flower. They said, hey, can we give you a free flower? And so they gave her a flower. 
And like, she kind of brushed it off. She had headphones in. Like Audrey said, it was kind of a weird exchange. And so she walked out the YMCA door. And a couple minutes later, the woman came back in with tears in her eyes. She was crying. And she had read the card. And the card on the front just says, God loves you. Or it said, you're loved. And it says, John 3.16. And on the back, it just says, a gift for you just because. And it says, hey, this is a free gift from our church. We just want you to know that you're loved and you're valuable. And we just hope this gift brightens your day. And it has the church website at the bottom. That's it. No strings attached. We don't want anything from them. So the woman went out and she read the card and she came back in with tears in her eyes and she came in and hugged Audrey and told her how much that act of kindness meant to her. So Nolan, Nolan's like, what's up with that? Like, why, why is that weirdo, like, you know, hugging my mom? Like, he's confused. And see, that's an opportunity for us then to go talk to him and say, here's the thing, buddy. Like, that, that lady, what she told mom was is that that was the first time in a long time that anybody had done anything nice for her. Isn't that sad? Like that, was like, that was the first time that somebody just freely loved her, and that's what Jesus told us to do. Jesus told us that he would know that we're Christ followers by our love. And so like, that's, that's what like Nolan keeps talking about now. Like, and, and then we're having that conversation, and Shane's like, yeah, I got hugged too. Like, what, not a big fan of it, but he's like, yeah, I got hugged too. And I'm, just, I'm like, here, take the flower, and the lady's hugging me. We're like, see how powerful God's love is, guys? And we're just able to have that conversation with them. And so you know what? More than me sitting down doing a Bible study about how God loves us, they saw it. And not, not only did they see it, they got to see themselves doing it, but then they got to see how someone responded to it. And they'll remember that forever. That's better than any Bible study I could have done with them. So I'm not saying you missed something powerful yesterday. I'm just saying if you weren't there, you missed something powerful yesterday. Because we didn't have just one of those. We had multiple experiences where people were completely blown away that somebody would just give them something for free because God loves them. And so we're going to do more of that in our community. We're planning to do some one-hour mission trips this summer where we're just going to go into our community for an hour and love and bless as many people as possible, and I think it'll be a powerful time. But for us, that was a huge teachable moment. That, that was more meaningful to my kids than me sitting down telling them all the reasons they should be doing this because they got to see it. And listen, as you, tell, as you have conversations with people, listen, we got to get this, we got to get this. Part of having conversations with our kids, part of having conversations with one another, part of having conversations with our grandkids or those that we oversee is this. It will get uncomfortable, and it should. We should have such a relationship with one another that we should be able to tell the truth to one another. That we should be able to talk about things that people don't really want to talk about. And here's the deal. As a parent, there are things that I want to talk about with my kids. Like, there are things that I don't, I don't want to. It's not going to be exciting. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be a tweet or a Facebook update. But there are things, there are situations, there are truths that are so powerful that they need to hear that I don't want them to hear them first for Disney or a TV show or some knucklehead friend of theirs or from a radio. Like, there are some things that I want to sit down and say, guys, I know you don't want to talk about this, but I want to be the leading voice in your life on this situation or this topic. And our kids need that. Our kids need us to tell them the truth. Because if we don't, listen, if we don't, somebody else will. Like if we're not the leading voice, there's all kinds of people out there that would love to be the leading voice on some of the most important topics in our children's lives. I love the way Proverbs says it. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. It's like we have the ability to like speak life into people or to speak death into people. 
And the author of Proverbs says, whichever one you love the most will eventually be the fruit that you eat. That if you speak so much life, eventually you'll eat the fruit of speaking life into people. But we can also speak death into people. And if we really love that, eventually we'll just eat the fruit of speaking death into people. So let's just speak life. So your walk matters. Your talk matters. And what you do matters. In fact, I'm absolutely convinced from just experience in the Bible that there's three things your kids absolutely need from you. The first one is this. Your kids need your example. They need it. Like, you, 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 like your kids need to see you live so they know how to live. Your kids need to see you model things for you because what you model matters. So your kids need to see it. Like your, your kids need to, you, like they need you to let them in on what's going on in your life. Like they, they need to know why you're making the decisions you're making, why you do what you do, how you do what you do, because what you model for them matters. And it's powerful. So your kids need that. But your kids also need your wisdom. Your kids need your wisdom. Like I don't know about you. Most of you are probably smarter than me, but I did a lot of stupid stuff in my life. And so I want to pay the dummy tax for my kids. Like, I want to be able to tell them, hey, I already did this and it didn't work out so good, so I'm trying to save you, okay? Let me pay the tax. Like, listen, I know you think it's going to go well, but here's my story. It didn't go so well for me, and I don't think it'll go any better for you. So our kids need our wisdom. More than just a yes, more than just a no, more than just rules, what they need is wisdom, understanding. And one of the ways we give our kids understanding is appropriately explaining or giving them some insights into our own hurts, our own hang-ups, our own habits, some things that happened to us and the wounds that it took and the power of Jesus to heal us, the more we can share those things with them, that they'll be able to avoid the pitfalls and the snares that you and I fell into if we're honest with them. The last thing your kids need is your time, your time. Now, I have a, a little bit of an issue in my own life, and it's that I hate dandelions. See, here's the thing about just my, my life, in case you ever come over to my house, is our backyard is surrounded by pine trees, okay? Which means we cannot grow grass in our backyard. I can't even grow weeds in my backyard because the pine needles turn all the dirt acidic. So we're like trying to figure out a solution for that. But, so I can only grow grass in my front yard, and what I hate are dandelions. I hate dandelions. I don't know how they grow as fast as they grow because they get mowed down and like 10 grow back in the spot of one the next day. But I was actually out in our front yard the other day doing some stuff, and in the middle of our driveway was a dandelion growing through the asphalt. And I was mad about it because I felt like it was a terrorist dandelion. I'm like, you're not even growing in the grass. Like, you're now growing through the asphalt in my driveway. And I was, I was kind of having a moment looking at that. And it was like God kind of reminded me of this, that small things over a long period of time are incredibly powerful. That it took that little flower a long time, but over that, that little flower, just over a long period of time, was able to bust through the asphalt in my driveway. And I don't know how it's got roots there, and I don't know how it grew through there, but little things over a long period of time are powerful. And the reality is, is your time might not even need more of your time. They might need you to repurpose the time you already spend with them. So let me give you a little bit of my dummy tax. Your kids running around with you while you watch TV is not quality time. Going out to eat with your kids while you stare at a cell phone is not quality time. 
putting kids in the back of your vehicle with screens, TVs, or iPads is not quality time. Quality time is focused attention plus purpose. Like that's something I've been trying to grow as as a parent, that the quality time that I give my kids is focused attention. I'm just focused on you. I'm not focused on anything else. I don't care what's on the TV. I don't care what's happening on the cell phone. I don't even care what's happening in the world. For this amount of time, you have my attention and and we're going to do something. There's a purpose to what we're doing. But whether it's just, hey, you want to feel loved, or hey, you want to go do something together, hey, let's go finish a project together. But that's what quality time is. Quality time is focused attention, focused attention with some sort of purpose attached to it. And that it might not be that your family needs more time. It just means maybe they need better time. And here's the thing. Small things over a long period of time are powerful. And I think if you can give your kids, your grandkids, those who are spiritual kids, somebody, some quality time extended over a long period of time, I think it'll be really powerful in people's lives. So here's the question daily. How do you invest in your children? How do you invest in those around you? How do you invest in those that sit underneath your authority or leadership in your life? Because the reality is, is what you believe, what you say, and what you do will impact those around you. And here's the thing. God then tells us that the best way to do this, the way to stay encouraged, the way to know what to do next is to simply focus on God's word. Deuteronomy 6, 8, 9. It says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, that they shall be frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That God gets really specific. Now, to the Jewish nation, like when they say frontlets, you and I don't have any idea what that is. And most of us probably don't have doorposts and, and like with stuff pushed, put all over them. But in, in the Jewish nation, they did, and they still do. And so this is how it kind of breaks out when he says, hey, they shall always be a sign on your hand. It means God's word should always be in reach. Now, isn't it amazing that we live in a culture where you could have Bible verses on your phone whenever you needed them? Like the Bible's never been more in reach than it is right now. Like you can just fire up the app and always have God's word on you. But he says, hey, always have my word within the reach. He says, when you have it in your frontlets, you should always have it in your sight. You should always be able to get your eyes on God's word whenever you need it. No matter what you're doing, you go, hey, it's within reach, and now I can look at it. And then he says, put it on your door, doorpost, reminders as you go. That the, hey, have, have verses, have scriptures, have reminders as you're leaving your house, as you're getting into work, as you're getting out of your car. God says, hey, just focus on my word. Just focus on me, and it'll lead you to where you're supposed to go. It'll lead you to power. It'll lead you into the place that you want to be. So here's the thing. What does it look like to have a gospel-centered house, or what does it look like to have a Christian home? The reality is, is from Scripture is, I don't know. Because every single Bible family was really jacked up. And like, I don't want one of my kids to throw another one in a pit and sell them to slavery. I'm not voting for that, okay? But here's what I do think we see. I think what we see is that a, a Christian home is a home where, where mom and dad or mom or dad, depending on your situation, you're fighting for your children. And you're fighting for them so that you can lead them so they can know Jesus. And not just know him, so they would one day be able to make a decision on their own that they would love Jesus and then they could grow in their walk with them. That it's always going to be messy. It's always going to be unpredictable. It's never going to be perfect, and it'll always be difficult. But don't stop fighting. Don't stop fighting for your children. Don't stop fighting for your grandchildren. Don't stop fighting for those kids that you know that don't have 
spiritual parents or parents, but it's an atmosphere of saying, hey, we want to do everything we can to raise you in a way that you would know the Lord, so that you could love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, so that you would know him and that you could live your life following after him. And here's the thing, parents, you know your kids best, so you know what's worked best. But here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Don't stop fighting. Don't give up. No retreats. No surrenders. You keep fighting for your children. You keep praying for your children. And the greatest thing you could do for your kids is have a white, hot, passionate zeal for the Lord that sets an example for them as they follow after you. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, we come before you today and we thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your word and for who you are. And I thank you for all those in the room this, this day, God. We thank you for the women in our lives. We thank you for the moms and for the grandmas. We thank you for the women in our lives who have acted like moms and loved us and nurtured us. And God, I just give you praise and thanks that you've put people in our lives to care for us and nurture us. And God, I pray as we gather today that your word would just speak into our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that we would leave here today encouraged. Lord, I pray that we would desire more of you, that we would want to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. God, help us to to not be afraid of having conversations. Help us not to be afraid of fighting for the top of the hill, but may we live according to your Holy Spirit. God, may we know your will and know your voice by getting in your word. And God, may we just recognize that the gospel says that we'll never be perfect, so it's okay not to be. But what we really need is the perfect love of you, Jesus. God, help us to know you. God, help us to love you. Help us not to walk by our own paths or by our own ways, but Jesus, help us to walk according to your power and your might and your will and your way. God, I pray a special blessing today over all the parents and grandparents in the room. God, I pray that you just fill us up with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would give us a a zeal and a passion to live for you. And I pray that we would see fruit. I I pray that as we do these things and spend time and have conversations, I pray that we would see your power working in and through and all around us, not in just this next generation, but in the generations to come. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.